Would you please open your Bibles this morning and get a Bible if you don't have one near you to the Gospel of John. We're going to be in chapter 9, beginning in verse 13. And as you turn there, I suspect, just knowing some of you, most of you, that you are aware of the recent Supreme Court hearings with Judge Amy Coney Barrett that happened this week. And I watched some of those proceedings. And it would, I would be understating it to call it an intense interview. <laughs> she was being required to defend her nomination, to prove consistent in her confession as judge, and that she would operate in reality and uphold the nation's constitution. It's interesting, her witness is a picture for us, of us who profess faith in Jesus Christ. You see, our lives and our words are always on the witness stand. The question is, when our lives are examined as a witness for Jesus, are we willing to confess him, side with him, even as others mock, try to debunk, or disbelieve our belief? Last week, we started chapter 9, and we saw Jesus do the incredible he took notice of a blind man who was born blind from birth and he healed him, restored his sight fully. Reality is fundamentally different for this man. The works of God, as Jesus said, are being displayed in this man. The question is, will he, when he's questioned about it, will he confess it? Will we? So, hopefully you've gotten there. Let's read this morning. Would you please stand with me in honor of God's word as we read John chapter 9, beginning in verse 13. They, the neighbors, brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. You can have a seat. We're going to continue reading all the way through verse 44 this morning. But this week, this man's new reality has been noticed by the authorities. And you know it's going to be smooth sailing. When John starts off with, they brought him to the Pharisees, and that Jesus had done his healing on a Sabbath. And this someone, this man, who was formerly blind, is called to bear witness. Our text this morning shows us this. The reality of Jesus requires our witness. And that raises a question for us. When should we confess Christ? When should we confess Jesus? Under what circumstances is our witness to the reality of Jesus required? Well, first, we should confess Jesus when we're asked. This may seem obvious, but... Quick show of hands, how many of you are explicitly asked about your Christian faith regularly? 
That's exactly typical. In our day and age, most people don't explicitly ask, unlike what's happening here. But you should know that everyone around you is asking. They are watching us live. They are watching us and listening to us speak. We are being asked, what's, dri what's driving this person? What's their MO? How are they going to respond? There are opportunities to confess Jesus in our day today. So, we have a question to ask then. What makes a confession of Jesus and what doesn't? If we're being asked, and we are, even though it's not directly, what makes the confession of Jesus? Listen to how this man first responds when he's asked. Look at verse 15. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight, and he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Confessing Jesus tells what he did. I mean, this guy simply states the facts. The man didn't elaborate. He didn't oversell. He didn't hype what happened. What Jesus had done was clear. And what Jesus has done for us is clear. It's the gospel. For on this side of the cross and the resurrection... We can, tell the, uh, we can tell others what Jesus has done. This man doesn't have that picture yet. Jesus died on the cross to take away our sin and shame and God's wrath upon us. And instead, he gave us, and in that place, he gave us eternal life with him. He gave us his righteousness. He made us right with God and made us adopted children with the Father. He rose from the dead on the third day, proving that he was God, and now he rules and reigns forever and is coming again to restore all things. And then we think, and we should think, yes, that is a good message. It's called gospel for a reason. It's full of hope and life. It's reality. And the man here confesses what Jesus did. What happened? Verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner keep do such signs? And there was a division among them. Here's what confession, confessing Jesus is not. Confessing Jesus is not controlling the results. Did the man say something wrong? Did the man do something wrong? Was he not clear? Did he not have the right gospel marketing skills? One group of Pharisees is getting bent out of shape because they think Jesus is a lawbreaker by not keeping the Sabbath, according to their definition of Sabbath, which is horribly out of step from the good, rest-restoring, life-giving, healing blessing God intended for the Sabbath. They interpret Jesus' actions as dismissible for legal reasons. The other group of Pharisees comes back with a correct statement, although a weaker argument. They wonder if it's even possible for Jesus to be doing these signs if he is truly a lawbreaker, a sinner. What's going on here? Confessing Jesus is not controlling the results. We evangelical Christians have been sold a false bill of goods for perhaps a century or more 
that says someone else's salvation is the result of how well we sell the gospel. If we just raise the emotions enough, if we just play enough heartstring music, if we just say the right words, if we have enough clever stories and a dramatic enough testimony, baloney. The prophet Jonah, helpless in the belly of a fish where God sent him, said it rightly. And he prayed truly. He said, salvation is of the Lord. Not you, not me. If the results are up to us, only the most sales-savvy people in this room would be able to tell the gospel. And they wouldn't be willing. No. You leave the results to him. Our role is to tell the right message. Tell the message. Confess Jesus, not control the results. Well, what else makes a confession of Jesus? Not just what he did. Thirdly, confessing Jesus tells who he is. Verse 17, so they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. (laughs) I love this guy. Even with this division among his questioners, he sides with Jesus. He is a prophet. He may not have all the details of Jesus that we do, but Jesus has done something profound to him, and he is on the right track. The Pharisees are rejecting Jesus being from God, and this man goes to the highest holy position he knows, A prophet who, if he's truly a prophet, is from God. When we tell people the gospel, we not only tell them what Jesus did, but we tell them who he is. He died on the cross for our sins because he is the Son of God, the Christ. The key, and hopefully you've picked this up, is that we actually tell them. Donald Whitney, he's a Christian author He wrote a really, really solid and helpful book called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. He records this in that book on the spiritual discipline of evangelism. He says, I heard the story of a man who became a Christian during an evangelistic emphasis in a city in the Pacific Northwest. When he told his boss about it, his employer responded with, That's great! I'm a Christian and have been praying for you for years. But the new believer was crestfallen. Why didn't you tell me, he asked. You were the very reason I've not been interested in the gospel all these years. How can that be, the boss wondered. I've done my very best to live the Christian life around you. That's the point, explained the employee. You lived such a model life without telling me that it was Christ who made the difference. I convinced myself that if you could live such a good and happy life without Christ, then I could too. This new believer was asking, and his boss should have been telling. We should confess Jesus when we're asked. The reality of Jesus requires our witness. The Pharisees hear his confession, but the text goes on, verse 18. The Jews, these, this becomes a term, these are the Pharisees who don't believe Jesus is from God, did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. 
Under what other circumstances is our witness to the reality of Jesus required? Secondly, we should confess Jesus when others fear. The reality of Jesus requires our witness. We should confess, we should confess Jesus and expect some to fear. What might be fearful in confessing Jesus? What might others be afraid of in confessing Jesus? First, others fear the truth. Verse 19, is this your son? They asked them, his parents, who you say was born blind? The Pharisees could potentially get away with disbelieving the man's former blindness when it's just him witnessing. But once his parents say in verse 20, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, they have nothing to hide behind. Something powerful has happened and someone powerful has done it, and it's corroborated now by witnesses, and by witnesses who knew this blind man the best. When Jesus rescues you, you are brought from darkness to light, from blind to seeing, from death to life. This is objective reality. This is truth. And people, as miserable as they are, as miserable as we are in sin without God, if we don't trust him, we are terrified of God actually showing up and exposing our sin and our helplessness to get ourselves out of it. And like these Pharisees, if we stay opposed to God, we will try every loophole to deny out of fear what is as plain as day in front of us. But not only the Pharisees are afraid, this man's parents are afraid. What do they fear in confessing Jesus? They fear two things. First, others fear authority. This man's parents answer the first question that the Pharisees ask without any issue. Is this your son who you say was born blind? Yes, he is, and he was born blind. It's true. But they go on answering the second question, which is, how then does he now see? And they say in verse 21, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. And this background, then this background information is given by John the Apostle as to why they answered this way. He says in verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. In one sense, there should be a healthy respect of correct authorities in our lives. God even commands such a thing in his word to his people. And it's a good thing. But when we fear the power when we fear people in power more than confessing the true king who reigns in power, Jesus who healed this man, something is wrong. They fear authority, but there's one more reason why this man's parents are afraid. And it's one we may not immediately recognize, but might actually be all too common. Verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. Others fear shame. 
we might think that these parents are bailing on their son. He's just telling the truth, mom and dad. But in the eyes of the Middle East and other places, they're not bailing on him. He's bailing on them. And he's bailing on their community by siding with and confessing Jesus. They fear shame. To be put out of the synagogue was to have your family name smeared in the mud across the whole region. To lose your community, to lose standing in your community, to potentially lose access to worship. And so his parents are only willing to tell the truth so far. Do we fear confessing Jesus for fear of shame? This is why Paul's statement in Romans 1 verse 16 is so powerful. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. I heard from another pastor in our area that there are some church-going folks whose families have been going to certain churches for generations. And for many, they stay at those churches even though the gospel and biblical teaching at those churches has disintegrated into worthlessness. Why? Why do they stay? Because there is a huge unspoken pressure to stay and the threat of shame for those who don't. But the reality of Jesus requires our witness. And we should confess Jesus when others fear. For those church-going folks who I mentioned who don't stay, who go to Bible-teaching, gospel-preaching churches, I've heard the stories of how they are shamed by their community. People who once talked with them as friends now are barely able to make small talk, often giving them the silent treatment or not even acknowledging their existence at a grocery store. We should confess Jesus when we're asked, when others fear, and thirdly, we should confess Jesus when truth costs. Salvation is the free gift of God's grace in his Son, but it is not cheap. What does truth, what does truth cost to confess Jesus? First, truth costs our blindness. Verse 24. The Pharisees charged him after they bring him back in for round two. Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. When we give glory to God, let's explain this a little bit. We are acknowledging that he is true, that he tells the truth, and that what he does is true. So when they charge the man to give glory to God, they're telling him to tell the truth, to own up to the truth, which is great, except that then they say that the truth is, we know this man, there's this man, not Jesus. They don't call him Jesus. This man is a sinner. What's that? That's a lie. They're telling him to lie. Are we not tempted by our flesh, 
by the world around us, by the devil, to pretend to be blind again, just to keep from ruffling feathers. But there's a problem with that. The reality is, is that he can see. He can't unsee. He can see. Verse 25, he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. He ignores that part entirely. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, which is true, now I see, which is also true. Nothing can change that. Verse 26, they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? (laughs) Asking again won't change anything. He answered, verse 27, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? The reality is that we who have believed in Jesus have been brought from spiritual blindness to sight. Now you may have been thinking in this text as we have been going through, well, I wasn't born blind and miraculously given sight, Aaron. I've never had that kind of miracle done to me. You're right. You've had a greater one done for you and to you if God has saved you. You've experienced a greater miracle than a physically dead person being raised to life, than someone lame for almost four decades being able to walk as if he were in his 20s. And you've experienced a greater miracle than someone who was born without even the ability to see at all, being restored to full sight. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 proclaims, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You've experienced Jesus taking away your blindness because of sin, because he took your sin away at the cross and he gave you sight, his life and righteousness. Truth costs our blindness. And secondly, truth costs our allegiance. (laughs) He has this awesome question at the end of verse 27. Do you also want to become his disciples? You keep wanting to figure this out, guys. Why, you want to become his disciples too? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man has already declared his allegiance. The question is, are they going to submit theirs? And let's be clear, <laughs> their allegiance is not really to Moses. If they were really disciples of Moses, they would believe Jesus as Jesus told them in John chapter 5, verse 46, because Moses believed Jesus. And he said, when this prophet arises, you should listen to him. No, their allegiance is to anything that they think justifies them from having to take Jesus' side. And they will name call anyone who challenges their ignorance. And let's face it, church, there are people in our lives in this world to whom we will deliver the gospel who will just not give over their allegiance. They, will, they would rather be remain in ignorance and stay blind. And apart from God's saving work, that's where we all are. 
Truth costs our allegiance. And finally, truth costs us the world we once knew. Verse 30, the man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. You know what the blind man has just done? He has just exposed that the world they're living in is not real. It's like the child pointing out that the emperor has no clothes. His argument goes like this. If I am healed, and I am, and this kind of thing has never been done in the, before, in the history of the world, and we know that God does not listen to those who want nothing to do with him, but will listen to those who listen to the one who wants everything to do with him, like the guy who healed me, then, this is, then the most amazing thing is your unbelief rather than my belief. In order for us to believe what is real, to embrace what is real, we must say goodbye to the old world that rejects Jesus. We must say goodbye to the old us who wanted nothing to do with Jesus. The Bible calls this putting off the old self and putting on Christ, or dying to sin and living to God, being not of the world but in the world. Truth does cost us the world we knew. And we may have to let some and we may have to give up a lot. In fact, Jesus says, if you don't give up everything, you cannot be my disciple. But costly though it is, do not forget, as this man did not forget. <laughs> How could he? Do not forget that, that Jesus really has brought a change in you. Remember who he is, what he's done, and who you now are. Yes, being a Christian means that you are saying goodbye to the world you once knew. But which is better? To stay in the synagogue where reality is denied and people are destroying themselves and where you will certainly die if you stay? Or pay the cost of truth and as the book of Hebrews says, Go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For we're here we have no lasting city, but we seek the real city that is to come. We should confess Jesus when truth costs. The reality of Jesus requires our witness. And as Christians, our lives and our words are always on display. We are required and called to bear witness. We are called to confess Christ, when we're asked, when others fear, when truth costs, and sometimes that can be very lonely. This man stood alone as a witness for Jesus. And there are times when we are to bear witness, when we are to confess Jesus, and we will feel alone. 
reality of Jesus requires our witness. Let's remember this. We are not merely saved as individuals, but we are saved to be part of a faith-filled and faithful people. Leave us with this from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. It states it this way, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside the world we knew, aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the author and founder and perfecter of our faith, as it say, who for the joy that was set before him endured the worst shame, the cross. It says, he despised the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Men and women of God have gone before us in confessing Jesus. And Christ has gone before us, so we are not alone. And because this is real, the reality of Jesus requires our witness.